When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Good morning to you. Oh, what is kind of a bleak old day out there and it is a little bit chilly. I will warn you that if, if you haven't ventured out uh, yet. John Paul taking your calls at 1850 Text WhatsApp 86 If you are a fan of Nathan Carter, please be aware that the lovely man will be joining us at about 20 past 11 today. This is in advance of his concert live at the Marquee on this coming Friday night. He's obviously a fan of playing here in Cork and a fan of playing live at the Marquee because I think it's his sixth year in a row uh, playing and it's always a terrific night out. If you've been to a Nathan concert before, you'll know what a great buzz, what a great excitement. Everyone is in good form and uh, people are just loving country music and really a lot of that is down to Nathan Carter, particularly the younger generation who have suddenly discovered country and Irish music. A lot of people will point the finger at Nathan Carter as saying he is one of the reasons that there's been this renewed interest in it. So he's one of those few artists that you can go to a concert where Mammy can go the children can go, the teenagers can go, the young adults can go and you can even bring Granny along and everyone's going to enjoy it. So we'll chat with Nathan. If you have a question for Nathan, uh, feel free to get it into us and we'll put it on your behalf to Nathan. As I said, about 20 past 11 today. We're also going to hear from a young Bandon family who will share the story of their little baby's battle with a neck tumour. It's one of those issues when your little one becomes sick and we all worry when children become sick but when you get to the hospital to be told this isn't just a childhood illness this is something much more serious and I know there is a fundraising campaign to cover the cost of the family staying in Dublin because obviously the little one is up in getting treatment in Dublin and she's in the system and she'll be well looked after in the system but the family need to be supported as well and this is where family and friends are coming together to help out the family so We'll share that little baby story on the programme today. We have our bi-monthly feature with Awalia, which is the free mortgage arrears support. And today we're looking at people who are drowning in debt. And just to let people know there is help available. There's free help available. It's completely state uh, funded and we'll give you advice on what you can do and where you can go. We're hearing about enormous amount of jellyfish that were washed up this week on Inchidani Beach. You need to be careful if you're going for a walk on the beach. It is Wednesday, so that means Peter Dowd will join us after half past 12 uh, today answering all of your gardening questions. We'll mix that in with your calls and comments throughout the morning to 1850-333-103. But to start this morning, the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, along with Minister for State with Special Responsibility for Older People, Jim Daly, have brought legislation to government to change the treatment of farm families and businesses for those seeking nursing home care under the Fair Deal Scheme. Minister Jim Daly joins me on the programme this morning to tell us more. Good morning to you, Jim. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, And you're welcome. Firstly, what was unfair about the current Fair Deal Scheme, especially when it comes to farm families? 
Yeah, I suppose, look, in Ireland, we have a long tradition of uh, families um, passing on assets from one generation to the next. Uh, typically, farms is what we associate with that. But it also, of course, applies to small businesses, shops, pubs, restaurants, you know, whatever, caravan parks, whatever kind of a business people are in. So that tradition of families and succession um, was being interrupted by the Fair Deal Scheme. It was deemed to be unfair because when it was brought about uh, 10 years ago now by by then Health Minister Mary Harney, one of the provisions was that, look, the 7.5% of assets would be capped at three years on the family home. But there was no provision to do the same for a family farm or a family shop or a family pub. Uh, and as time went by, uh, there were some very, very tragic, sad cases of where individuals had to go into a nursing home at a, at a very young stage, maybe in their 50s or 60s, with Alzheimer's or, or a disease like that. And they could be in there for 10 years and the asset, the family asset would be wiped out to pay for their care, whereas the family home was protected. So there has been much lobbying, and, uh, and I want to acknowledge the farm organisations, uh, particularly the IFA. I think I wasn't in the job two weeks when they came in to me and uh, said they wanted this address that had been promised by you know previous uh, governments and so on, and it wasn't delivered. So I committed to them to work with them to try and deliver it, and I'm delighted that yesterday I got uh, I took it to cabinet yesterday morning, and uh, cabinet approved. Uh, so what, what 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 are the new changes? The new changes are essentially now that. Uh, the seven and a half percent. So basically, for you, for to explain for your listeners, there uh, fair deal is the deal you do with the state when you go into a nursing home or someone belongs to you goes into a nursing home. Uh, you make a contribution towards the care, and the state will make a contribution towards the care. What happens in fair deal is eighty percent of your income goes towards your care. That's typically your pension. The the person who's going to nursing home, eighty percent of their income, and seven and a half percent of their asset, which again is primarily their their family home. The family home contribution of 7.5% is capped after three years so that no more than 22.5% of the family home will go towards your care. This same cap did not apply to farms and businesses. It now will once this legislation is true. So that means that anybody who has a farm and who's in a nursing home or has a small business like a shop or a restaurant or a pub uh, and that has to go into nursing home, that this 7.5% contribution will also be capped after three years, so no more than 22.5% of the value of the family asset, um, in addition to the family home, will go to, to the state towards their care in the nursing home. So that's the change that's coming about. OK, now there's also a six-year rule that whoever is inheriting will have to work the farm or, or the biz- business. Explain why that needs to be included. Yeah, because this is very, uh, as I said at the outset, this is about the tradition of succession planning and where families pass on an asset to the next generation. So the son might be working the farm with the father for many years with a view to taking over the same farm and the son might have moved in and with the wife and family on that farm and next day if the father took suddenly ill and had to go into a nursing home, um, 7.5% of the farm would go and if they were in the nursing home for five years, you'd have about 50% of the farm or, or so close to it anyway gone. So it is about that. It's to protect that transfer. Um, and that's why they have to commit to working the asset for six years after uh, whoever it is goes into a nursing home. If that wasn't there, you would effectively be saying, look, if somebody had €500,000, if you were a retired banker with a massive pension and you had €500,000 in the bank, 
could that also be excluded from the contribution to Fair Deal or could there be a cap put on that because at the moment if the retired banker had to go into a nursing home and, and did have a, a, a pension or I'm not picking on bankers now it could be anybody uh, that was very uh, well paid had a, had a pension fund of 500,000 or savings of 500,000 well then you know 7.5% of that would be taken as well each and every year because that's it that's effectively well I suppose it's financial income as well as, mm. as an asset so it, basically this is really about ensuring that families can transfer working assets to the next generation that's what it's all about it's not about anything else it's just making sure that families aren't overly penalised as I said the example of the young farmer that might have moved in with his wife and children and be living off that farm it's very unfair when them the seven and a half cent of the asset each and every year is, is given to the state so I mean you have to you couldn't have a case where somebody could sell the farm and turn it into cash and keep that or you know lease out the farm to somebody and have them work it and have an income out of it and have that disregarded so that's why that kind condition is there that it must be worked so this is about uh, succession perhaps. yeah it's it's to it's it's to it's to protect it for genuine cases and stop you know heirs from cash cashing in on it uh, how much is it expected to cost the state uh, in the first couple of years, it will be uh, 10 million a year, roughly about 9.75 million, and that will rise after three years to maybe 11 or 12 million. The other aspect to it as well, Patricia, is that it will be applied for people who are already in nursing homes, and there are many people who unfortunately have, um, as I said, Alzheimer's is one of the big causes that you know are in nursing homes for six, seven, or eight years, have small little farm holdings. It was their desire to pass it on. Seven and a half percent of those holdings are being given over to the state every single year, each and every year they're in a nursing home. So this will apply to those already in nursing homes as well when it when the law is passed. When the law is passed. Now as you mentioned, farming organizations have campaigned long and hard for fairness as they see within within uh, fair deal. Are they happy? Have you heard from them? Do you believe they're going to be happy with the decisions you announced yesterday? They are. I mean, you you couldn't criticise it. Uh, well, I suppose people can, of course. But I mean, it, it's a positive step. It, it carries a, a you know a cost of ten million euro. Farms are uh, like one of the things I said to the IFA at the start was, if they will allow me do this and do this only, I'll commit to doing it. Now they were had a number of ministers before me had committed to doing it, but I said if you look for a whole host of other additionalities as part of it as well, you know, well then I can't do it because it will take five years to do that. It took nine years actually to bring about the Fair Deal scheme. It's a very, very complicated scheme. It involves constitutional issues because it is property and, uh, you know, property rights and all of that are affected. And when property is transferred, the debt becomes, you know, uh, payable to the state and all that. So it's a very complicated scheme and I explained to them if they look for additionalities. Now everybody can argue. I'm sure any other politician would come on your show and say, oh, he should have done this as well and he should have done that and he should have done the other. But this in its own is a very positive step. It's about fairness and equity. Yes, it will cost 10 million euro, but I think you can't put a price on fairness and to treat everybody the same, uh, you know, and give them equal treatment. So to answer your question, the farm bodies are very appreciative of it and very welcoming of it. I've no doubt that they'd like to see more done, as as everybody would, but this is in itself a very, very good positive step. And I do want to acknowledge the farm bodies who have been extremely helpful to me because they they presented me with a lot of what-if situations while I was doing the work in the background to bring this to Cabinet. What about if the family is this or if the scenario is that or if the son doesn't do the, you know, all of these kind of scenarios which we had to take on board and make sure we had our ducks in a row before you go into Cabinet with it. Uh, and I'm very grateful to them for that as well. And is, is it because of that it's inheritance law and property law? Is that why it, it took nine years? I mean, I know the Office of the Attorney General they were heavily involved, weren't they, in the, in the drafting of the heads? 
the uh, well, yeah, your fair deal itself is what, what took nine years. That's ten years ago, you know, or whatever it took. Um, Mary Harney brought that in, but I think it took seventy nine years in full before it was start to end. Um, is that what you're asking me about? Fair no, deal? but I'm, I'm asking like how long? Why it's taken so long to sort this part out for the farm oh, yeah. families? Okay, okay. Well, I suppose uh, there was a reluctance to go near fair deal for a number of years after it because you know, it, it was such a complex piece of legislation to get over the line and there's obviously competing other pieces of legislation uh, come along since. Um, it was thought it should bed in. I suppose it only became apparent a number of years after, you know, it, it came into play. People realised, oh, this is very unfair, this is taking the farm and, and so on. So um, farm bodies started lobbying. Uh, previous ministers, I think, undertook to try and do it and didn't just get to do it. And look, it's about priorities. There's many people who will tell you that they've lobbied me to make changes that I haven't done for them. This is one of the changes that I've happened to be able to deliver and committed to doing so at the start. A, I am in the job two years uh, this month, actually, and it was one of the first meetings I had, as I said, with the IFA. And it has taken two years to get me this far because essentially you have to go out and, you know, you have to, a lot of dealing with deeper were very, very difficult and challenging. That's the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform. They didn't want to see any additional monies being placed on the, an already overstretched health service, you know, and 10 million euro wasn't easily secured because it's each and every year into the future. Um, then you had difficulties with, um, I suppose, I got it to Cabinet 12 months ago, to approval to just go about my business and, and draft heads of a bill. And after that, you had the Eighth Amendment, which took a lot of um, resources from my department on the legal side. So I was struggling to get to get legal advice and things like that. And then you had the Brexit legislation took priority earlier this year, which again, all hands on deck from a legal perspective. So there was a number of legal issues that I had outstanding since December of this year that I needed to get clarification on before going to Cabinet. And that took me two or three months longer than I would have liked. But look, that's... That's okay, it's, it's, how we it's, here. it's it's done now. Adrian in Little Island has a question about Fair Deal and says, "What happens to those who need nursing home care and don't have any assets to top up the payment on top of their pension? Uh, where does the extra seven point five percent of the money come from if somebody, for example, doesn't own a home?" Oh yeah, well that the state will pick it up. Then it's not yeah. like this is a means test. So this is a means. If you have assets, it's felt you should make a contribution towards your care. If you don't have assets, you don't make any contribution. And you'll still get you still get your nursing home care. Uh, yeah, so eight percent of your income in that case. When will the changes come into play? Uh, a part of that is outside. I hate giving dates because that's as soon as you give a date, you're a hostage to fortune. Part of that is outside of my control. But uh, I'm hoping it'll go. It goes to pre led scrutiny to the health committee now. I'm hoping that'll happen before this, we break up for the summer. And then that over the summer, we'll draft the bill itself. And I look forward to the autumn session of trying to get it in there. But I'll be competing with every other minister here who all have important pieces of legislation to get through the houses. But this legislation, I think, will be universally supported by every TD and senator in the House. I would be hopeful. So, um, but the fact that it's going to be applied retrospectively anyway, people don't need to worry. Well, I suppose people who are, say, if you were in a nursing home today if, and you were four years in a nursing home today. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yes, but for people going into nursing home, you're absolutely right. It makes no difference. They, they should not put off going into nursing yeah, home. Okay. And, and ju- just one criticism that um, I saw and heard was from um, Danny Healy Ray, uh, the Kerry Independent uh, TD, and he was citing the fact that this legislation would prevent people from renting a land to a third party and I think he used the example of if someone a farmer became unwell and the widow was or the the, the wife was left there on her own and she wasn't able to run the farm she wouldn't be able to rent it out in order for them to get nursing home uh, care is there still time to tweak the legislation? 
we've looked at all of those aspects. That's why it took so long to get there. We had to have every one of those examined. We didn't just pluck this out of the sky. The issue there is, again, about this is about fairness and equity. I mean, if you allow somebody to lease their farm and, and benefit from this, well, then somebody who has a holiday home in Spain who's leasing that should be allowed benefit from it as well. You know, that's an asset that they've leased. A farm is an asset that they've leased. It's an income they have. You know, so you have to treat everybody fairly and you have to, under the Constitution, all people must be regarded the same. So it's very, you can't make a special case if you go down that road for what about a scenario where a widow has to lease out the farm to continue to get an income. You know, there's other ways of supporting that family if, if that is the situation. And, you know, there's tax system there and there's uh, support from the Department of Social Protection and, you know, farm income supplement and all of these things that will support that family. But you can't make a blanket um, allowance for them that they don't have to make any contribution after three years from that asset. Okay. Because it's a holiday home would, could claim the very same. If okay, it, ha- it has to be fair to all. Okay, it's listen, Jim, I'll let you go because I know you're going into a meeting at half ten and we appreciate you taking time to talk to us this morning. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. No problem. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is the Minister for State with special responsibility for older people, Jim Daly. C103 invites you to take a seat for Mick Flannery's Evening Train. Experience a mix of vibrant dance and opera with a different wolf. And join the party for a bite and a boogie at the public kitchen. Cork Midsummer Festival has entertainment for everyone. Experience a celebration of the arts from June 13th to 23rd. See CorkMidsummer.com for more. Cork Midsummer Festival with C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Adrian and Little Island is back on by WhatsApp uh, to say, Hi Patricia, thank you for uh, getting my question answered by the Minister. Uh, Adrian got, uh, asked me to ask the Minister what happens if you don't have an asset, if you end up in nursing home care, who picks up the 7.5% of your asset every year capped at three years. Adrian's back saying, the Minister's answer confirmed what I've always been thinking. You work hard, you build up assets and the state can take up to 22% of the value if you need nursing home care. Or, don't work, relax, enjoy your life. And the government will look after you if you do end up needing nursing home care. It's a great country, isn't it? Says Adrian in uh, Little Island. I suppose people will see it as the fairest way. But yeah, I know the point you're making. I can accept how difficult it can be for some people, particularly if you're living side by side with someone who you feel has just been lazy all their lives and have done nothing. Or you know of someone, uh, people may know of a family member who never worked a day in their life, never wanted to work. And there's that perception. They seem to get everything for free. They've lived on social welfare all their life. They've had medical cards. And then when they come to old age, because they never worked hard to buy a house, they're the ones who will get the they could be in a nursing home bed beside you. They'll get the very same level of care, whereas poor Alasia might have worked all of his life, and it sounds like he has and built up his asset, and he'll be the one or his, his the family that he leave behind will be the one picking up the tab uh, for him. Uh, I don't know what the solution to that is, though. 1850-333-103. And by the way, we were getting calls in just towards the close of the programme yesterday from people who had been receiving phone calls from people saying that they were from the Asthma Society looking for donations. And obviously, because we do so much on the programme about scams and warning people to be very, very careful, particularly when it comes to cold calling, as it's called, where you pick up the phone and there's somebody there saying to you, do you want to donate? Or there's somebody at your door asking you, do you want to donate or trying to tell you something? You just need to really be 
bringing your A game every time you answer the door or answer the phone and you need to be careful. So we got these calls in from some people saying, look, getting calls from the Asthma Society is it genuine or not? Now, this this the same time last year we actually got similar calls in for, and, and we contacted the Asthma Society and at the time they said, yes, we are doing this cold calling. We have employed a company working on our behalf who are ringing around asking people to make donations to the Asthma Society. Now, we need to know if it's the very same thing is happening again this year. So we have contacted the Asthma Society and we are waiting a response from them. OK, but people are right to question and you are right to 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 check out and make sure. And again, if you know, and even if it is genuine and above board, which if it's the same as last year, it will be. You only donate if you want to donate, if it's a charity you feel strongly about and if you can afford. You never, never, ever feel bullied into making a donation against your will. And I, I know I always hate when, you know, there's, and I'm not saying that this is what's happening here with the Asthma Society, but I always hate when there's very aggressive selling of something. You'll see it on the street. Don't know so much now. Chuggers, isn't that what they were called? The charity muggers. So it was charity and muggers put together chuggers. The people that were stopping you on the street trying to get you to sign up for a direct debit where you'd give out, you know, a small amount of money it would be. Uh, every month for a direct debit and some people just felt intimidated by it and ended up signing up and you know fine if you have the money and you're able to afford it and it's a charity you particularly like and you want to help in that field but there are other people sign up and they really genuinely can't afford it and it might only be a 10 or it might only be 20 euro a month but you know if you're on a very small limited budget that 10 or 20 euro a month you know people need so just you know don't ever feel bullied uh, is the point I'm making. And it's kind of the very same thing when it comes to if you're in a restaurant and you give a tip. How do people feel about tipping? If the service is good, do you always tip? But what if the service isn't so good? What do you do? And then there's the argument about what happens to your tip. If you hand a tip to a waitress, does the waitress get it? Is that the fairest way? Well, the Minister for Employment Affairs and Social Protection, Regina Doherty, is promising bring, to bring in measures to ensure greater fairness for workers and transparency for customers. And she wants to introduce new rules which would stop some employers using tips to make up wages. Now, a lot of this came to light um, when the it was a very high profile case last year at the upmarket Ivy restaurant in Dublin after they, the owners there, accused the waiters of deplorable greed during a dispute over tips. Waiters were banned from taking payments after management claimed some of the staff were asking customers to leave tips in cash rather than by card. They were accused then of failing to share the tips with the rest of the workers and there was protests and all that outside of the restaurant and some of the staff at that stage claimed that the tips were actually being used to supplement the wages. Now the Ivy insisted that the tips were shared by all the staff and were paid in addition to wages but that wasn't what some of the staff were saying. So the Minister has decided she's going to amend the Payment of Wages Act so that tips can never be used to top up to, to as part of the pay. If you have a contractual rate of pay, you must be paid that by your employer. They cannot use part of the tips to make up that your contractual rate of pay. Her department said it's getting legal advice on the draft heads of the bill and a member is going to go to uh, Cabinet. And she says when a customer provides a tip, 
after a satisfactory service, they should know exactly where that money goes. Now, the department said the Low Pay Commission has advised the government strongly against introducing heavy regulation, but uh, it claims the approach taken would protect workers without falling foul of uh, of its warnings. And they, what they are suggesting is that when you go into any premises, that there would clearly be a sign up which would d- display the policy for that particular establishment on their tips and gratuity. So you would know when you walk into a restaurant how the tips are actually uh, div- uh, divided. And a lot of businesses will say that the tips should equally be shared between all of the workers. You're talking about everyone from, say, if you're in, in a restaurant, but they have a lovely maitre d' who meets and greets you at the door and gu- guides you to your table. And then you've got the waiting staff who come to your table and they're the ones you're most interacting with. But then behind the scenes, you have the chefs and the commie chefs who are cooking your meals. You have the washing up staff. You have the cleaners who clean the rest- restaurant. They're all contributing in some way to make sure that you have a very enjoyable meal. So is the fair, and some businesses, that's the way they do it. All the tips, whether it's paid in cash or whether it's paid by your credit card when you're paying, it all goes into a pot and then I take it at the end of the week. It's divided equally between everyone. That does seem like the fairest way. I'm not saying that happens everywhere happens in a lot of establishments but it does seem that that is the fairest way but it does whenever tips come the the topic of tips come up it's the big one what do you do if you're not happy with the service have you been have you refused point blank or do you just leave a smaller tip instead because many of the staff working in the waitresses are working as waitresses and working the washing up staff and you know working behind the scenes are on the minimum wage they're the lower end of the scale and many of those workers rely on tips and that's why I would always be it would be very rare that I wouldn't leave a tip but I do stop and question sometimes if the service hasn't been great so I welcome your thoughts on that would you always leave a tip and would it just be a smaller one if uh, the service wasn't up to what you felt it should be. And the bus route 233 service to and from McCroom cannot serve Kilmurray Village today and that's due to roadworks. Passengers though can board and disembark at Lazarda in the meantime. Okay, but it won't serve Kilmurray Village today. That's the Bus route 233 to and from McCroom. Now, a young Bandon family have an enormous battle on their hands with their little baby daughter who was diagnosed with a huge tumour in her neck. Friends have organised a GoFundMe page to help cover the cost of keeping the family together while Freya undergoes medical treatment at Our Lady's Hospital in Crumlin. Uh, Freya's mum, Ashley Maloney, uh, joins me. Good morning to Ashley. Good morning. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. Now, you got this devastating news about two weeks ago. Just take me back. When did you realise something was wrong with little Freya? We didn't know anything was wrong, to be honest. Um, she got tonsillitis two, two and a half weeks ago. And we noticed a small little lump on her neck. And we kind of presumed, you know, maybe it was the way that she had the tonsillitis that it was a lymph node from the infection. Mm. So she stopped eating and drinking. So we were admitted to hospital and they did an ultrasound and the ultrasound showed that maybe it was a lymph node, maybe it was a cyst, it wasn't conclusive. So they treated her with antibiotics and she started eating and drinking again. 
and we were left home from the hospital and two days later we went back in for a follow-up MRI. Um, they gave her the sedation but she didn't take to it so we'd stay another night and repeat it again in the morning and about an hour after the scan the consultant came in and said she had quite an extensive tumour in her neck that it has pushed her windpipe to the side and it's going down under her collarbone into her chest. My God, that wasn't what you were expecting the consultant to tell you? No, and within three hours we were in an ambulance on the way up to Crumlin. And what age is Freya? She's 14 months old. 14 months, bless her heart. And she's your, your first and only, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah first and only. Um, and what sort of a little baby is Freya? Oh, she's she's happy and happy-go-lucky. Even the nurses where we were in Cork and even here, they say she's just smiling from the minute she wakes up to the minute she goes to bed. Like, she's... Bless her heart. Bless happy. her heart. So, you're, you're now up in, in Dublin. Uh, what's the what's the treatment plan? What, what are they going to do to make Freya better? So she's first on the list for surgery in the morning. So we have two ENT consultants that will be operating and we also have a cardiothoracic surgeon as well. So they'll have to make an incision into her neck and they'll also have to make an incision down her chest and they'll have to cut into her sternum, the top of her sternum, and break the first rib to get the the rest of the tumour out of the chest. And we're talking then into ICU for two or three days where she'll be stated, ventilated. She'll have a chest drain. She'll have a neck drain. They'll have her well covered for pain relief because that was our worry. Yeah. Um, so, that's, yeah, that's... And then we're that's, talking a week's recovery. Yeah, that's a big... That's a big, big operation on such a little one. Yeah. Yeah, that's... And have they given you any time scale of how long the operation will take tomorrow? They reckon it'll be quite a long procedure. Okay. So it'll be four or five hours, if not more. Um, and then that's not including then if it's uh, cancerous or not. They don't know. They won't they know wouldn't. until they remove yeah. the, the tumour and do the biopsy yeah. and, and then okay, don't even think about that at the moment. Don't let's yeah. let's 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 allow let's let's be looking at that it's a benign tumour and they'll get it out and, and that'll be it. That'll be it. Yeah. Let's just focus yeah. on that for the moment. And you're up in the hospital with Kieran, your husband. Yeah. So Kieran, it's, yeah. it's the Kieran, sorry, Kieran. So it's the two of you together. So you'll you'll pace the hospital tomorrow, I'd say a lot while that operation is, is on, but There'll be a lot of people thinking of you and praying for you and sending good positive thoughts to to Freya and yeah. and to the two of you. And this GoFundMe page was set up, um, Ashley, and and it's doing really well. You must be so thankful to people. I actually can't believe the generosity of the people out there. You know, family, friends, even strangers. You know, um, my brother and his wife set it up because. We were worried about paying bills and we have to pay for accommodation up here as well and feeding ourselves. and Yeah. So, you know, and we said, when my brother set it up, I just said, look, we just, all we want is enough just to keep us going and have the bills paid. Whatever's left, then we're actually going to donate to children in hospital. 
It's a volunteer's charity that come into the hospital and they come around for two hours, uh, two hour intervals, three times a day. And they go into parents and give them a bit of relief time, tell them go and have a cup of tea or have dinner and they'll stay inside and play with the children. So and it's a it's a vital service and and I hope you're using it. I hope you are getting your breaks because you need your breaks. Yeah, well, especially yesterday when we found out when the surgery was and Matt was involved, we were quite upset. So and they were they were very brilliant. You know, they were they're just amazing. You know, go in, get a cup of tea, talk about it. We look after her here. You know, so they've been brilliant and even the staff that we had in Cork were amazing and only for them being so thorough, we would never have known that it was there because they reckon that when she had the tonsillitis that it bled into the tumour which allowed us to see it. Otherwise we would never have found it. So if she didn't get the tonsillitis you'd be, she still wouldn't have any symptoms? No, no. And they reckon it's been growing since birth because if it had grown so fast, she would have had breathing difficulties. But she's obviously compensated herself as it's grown. So we're lucky that she hasn't any breathing difficulties. Yeah, and she's been... You know, she, she's she, that's, that's why I asked you what kind of a little little baby is she? You know, she's been a very normal baby, eating, yeah. sleeping, drinking. Yeah, yeah, no problems at all. Same thing, she's, <laughs> she's a right scamp. She, she gets into everything. <laughs> and even here, like, she's she makes a run for the nurse's station and they're brilliant. Like, they bring her in and sit her on their laps and she's... <laughs> <laughs> it's hard at that age when, especially when they're walking to, yeah. you know, it's hard for her to be in hospital and she's not feeling unwell No, it seems, no, no. yeah you yeah. look at her you think there was nothing at all wrong with her Okay, allowing that everything goes according to plan tomorrow when would they expect to have you back in Cork? Oh, at least another week and a half okay. if not two weeks Okay, so that's why this your the GoFundMe page, which is Freya's Care, F R E Y A uh, hyphen F Freya's Care. Uh, it's important that people donate because it it costs a lot to to be in Dublin, as you say, with all the and then keeping the the bills going uh, down here as well. Okay, we will stay in contact with you, Ashley, and please know we will keep all of you in our thoughts and prayers tomorrow, and we're sending no, sending nothing to you but love and positivity and good thoughts. Okay. Thank you and you look after yourself. God bless. Thank you. God bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. Oh, goodness, heartbreaking, isn't it? To hear it. Think of a young family like that going through that. It's every parent's worst nightmare to hear your little one is uh, sick. So please remember little Freya Maloney tomorrow uh, when she has that um, operation. Some of your commentary coming in about tips and this uh, issue that's been raised by the Minister for Employment, Regina Doherty. She wants to bring in measures to stop some employers using tips to make up people's wages. Texter says, I am in business. I would love to pay the minimum wage and get Joe Public to top up my staff with tips. Why do we still have to give tips? We expect good service everywhere we go today. We shouldn't have to pay for it. Why don't the restaurants pay their staff properly? Which wouldn't put people into the situation where they feel they have to tip. Look at what the government loses out on as well, because it's non-taxable 
income when people uh, tip. And another listener says all the tips where I work are split between all of the staff every day. So the front of house staff and the staff behind in the kitchen and they do it at the end of every day. I didn't realise that. So that's, I don't know how common that uh, is. And hi Patricia, I've just heard that somebody has won 500,000 on a lottery ticket bought in Danos in Mallow. There's two Danos in Mallow. I don't know which one says this uh, texter, uh, but call it out, please. Uh, tell people to check their tickets. You could be 500,000 euro better off. And if you are, good luck to you. We're sending you to see the biggest stars live at the Marquee. Listen this free Ticket Thursday to win your way in. Only on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your calls and comments coming into the programme. Uh, Mary in Ballyhooley says, um, hold on, before I go to Mary in Ballyhooley, there was one on us. Uh, where's it gone? Where's it gone? The... Um, Mary in Bantry, my apologies, Mary in Bantry says there seems to be a lot more incentives now to keep people out of work than to keep people into work. She said if you don't work you're entitled to things like a medical card etc. And now we're hearing on your programme this morning that if you end up in nursing home care and you haven't worked and you don't have any assets then your nursing home care will be covered. Mary says I hear a lot of young people say what is the point of going to work when there seems to be more incentives not Well, I think to somebody who is unemployed hearing you say that, uh, Mary, they'll give you all the reasons why it isn't too cool to be unemployed. You might get looked after in some way, but I think for the majority of people unemployed, they would prefer to be in full-time employment. Now, on service, thank you for your call, on service charges and tips and all of that that we've been talking about in the last hour. Donald Amato said, says, uh, I will pay for service if I get a waiter or a waitress who's smiley, who's helpful and does their very best to help my help me have a nice dining experience. Now, I have to say, says Donald, the majority do. And then I will t- tip. However, if I see a service charge, for example, of 10% included on my bill, then I do not tip because I feel I've already uh, paid it. And a number of people actually are citing service charges, including John and Balangiri, says he won't tip with the service charge uh, either. Joseph in Glanmire says, you need to earn a tip. I feel in some places they don't deserve a tip and therefore I won't give them one. Mary in Ballyhooley is back on about the service charge and in particular she said if people noticed when they've been eating out at restaurants especially in the city that they all now seem to be opting for this service charge which is automatically added onto your bill you don't have any choice. Mary says you would see this a lot abroad but it was never something that was here in this country but it seems to be more and more evident especially here in Cork in this city. Have others noticed that? Ger in Skibbereen says, I feel when you tip a staff member, for example, a good waiter or a good waitress, then that person should keep the tip. More, more often than not, the tip money goes into a jar and at the end of the night it's shared. But that's unfair as the hardworking waiter who earned that tip will get the same as the one who may not have worked as uh, hard. I'm not being as courteous to other staff members. Well, as somebody said earlier when we brought up about tips, the establishment where they work, all the money collectively goes into a jar and at the end of the night it's divvied up between uh, everyone. And the reason that it's so fair, splitting it up between everyone, is the people behind the scenes who made your wonderful meal at Jar and the people who wash the dishes so that you've got pristine 
cutlery and you know, your plates are nice and clean and the people who clean the floors. There's a lot more goes into the meal that you're about to eat than just the person who's nice to you, who takes your order and who you know brings your food out to you. So I do think it's fair that they get divided equally between everyone. I don't, I have to say, I was very annoyed to think that any employer would use a tip to top up a wage. If somebody's entitled to €400 Euro a week and €80 Euro comes in on tips, then the person only gets... 320 euro that week because 80 of it's made up in tips. That's very, very unfair. And I'm glad to see the employment minister doing something to stop that practice. I don't know how widespread it is. I, I, I really don't. But I certainly am glad to that, that if it goes, if it needs legislation, then so be it. Bring in the legislation, please. Uh, Mary was on. She was listening to me speak with um, Ashley Maloney, who joined us from the Children's Hospital in Dublin where little Freya our little 14 month old baby has very very serious surgery to remove that tumour tomorrow and please God it will just be a benign tumour and they won't have to go down the route of uh, chemo but if they do they'll face that as well but at the moment it's just to get this little tiny little thing over this huge big operation that she undergoes tomorrow I was making the point for that we'll keep her in our thoughts and in our prayers and you know pray hard if you're the type of person who prays please include little Freya in your prayers tonight and tomorrow and Mary one of our listeners says Patricia just to let you know tomorrow is actually the feast of St Anthony so St Anthony is sure to look after that sick little girl and I did a double check not that I doubted you Mary I didn't but you are right tomorrow is the 13th of June is the feast day of St Anthony and St Anthony was known for his undying love and devotion to the poor and the sick so he will. He, there's, there's a saint who will look after little Freya. And of course, St. Anthony, we all know, is the patron saint of lost things. And a lot of us have great faith in praying to St. Anthony when you lose something because he's a great man to find it. I can see questions coming in for Peter. Keep those coming because Peter will be joining us after half past 12 today. And if you have a question for Nathan Carter, can you get that into me as well? I can see somebody wants me to say hi to Nathan. That'd be, he's my favourite singer of all times, but you have no name on it. If you want to include your name so I can give you a quick mention, I'm sure Nathan would love to hear that you think he is your favourite singer of all times. But if you have a question for Nathan Carter, get that in because he's going to be joining us in the next couple of minutes. You can text or WhatsApp 86 103 C103 Jobs. Now, a handyman is wanted in the Canturk area. This is for gardening, for painting, for fencing and also for some general house maintenance. Staff nurse is wanted in a well-established North Cork nursing home. That's full-time hours are available and does come with an immediate start. Full-time Arctic driver is needed. This is to carry out deliveries around Cork City and County. And Fastnet is recruiting for multiple operator roles with Global Life Science Companies based in the wider Cork area. You'll find all of the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. No matter where I wander, I'm still haunted. Christy Moore, live at the Marquee, Saturday, July 6th. The wise men came stern and strict and brought the order to evict. You better get born in some Tickets from 35 euro are on sale now, maybe subject to fees. Presented by Aiken Promotions.
in association with the Irish Independent and C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. This year's Live at the Marquee series is well underway with lots of great concerts planned, including for all country music fans this Friday night, the one and only Nathan Carter. I'm delighted to say has taken time out uh, to talk to us uh, today. Good morning to you, Nathan. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me on well, the show. Well, it is our pleasure. And if I'm not mistaken, this is your sixth year back-to-back performing Live at the Marquee. You obviously enjoy it You obviously yeah. enjoy it. I do, I do. To be honest, uh, Cork is one of my favourite places to play and I, I had the opportunity to play in the marquee, as you say, on many occasions um, and it's, it's, it's one of the highlights of the year for me, to be honest. Um, and this year we're kind of trying to make it a bit different just because we've been there so many times. We, we've invited a couple of special guests and we've got a couple of surprises along the way. So, yeah, it promises to be a great night and as I say, it's, it's something that I've uh, looked forward to for a since last year. And the fact that you're bringing guests along, I was interested to note that the music actually starts at 6pm, so it's going to be four hours of music. Yeah, yeah. Well, we thought, we thought we'd do something different, uh, especially for um, the families, because there's a lot of children come along to the, to the shows, you know, but there's a lot of gigs I do throughout the year which children aren't allowed uh, to come along to, especially during the summer because of, you know, the drink licences and the late yeah. start times. So we thought why not try and include the, the children in this and make it a bit of a family event that children can come along and they can see the likes of Marty Moan and Cleona Hagen, who's going to be performing as well before myself. And there's a couple of surprise guests along the way. But yeah, I mean, uh, Aiken Promotions has done a great job in, in packaging it together and there's a, there's a special rate for a family ticket. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, f- for me, it's great to see children come on the shows. I remember when I was a kid growing up being taken along to see you know, folk bands like the Dubliners and country acts like Philomena Begley and so on. And uh, that's where I got my love for music, you know. So I, I try and encourage it as much as I can to get uh, children to the shows. Yeah, and you are right. I, I love the idea of what this special family ticket, you know, four people can get in. It's it's 100 euro, but that's for two adults and, and two children. And there's even going to be a, a special family dancing area at the marquee. So, the, you know, yeah. k- kids aren't going to yeah. get trampled on or anything like that. That's a terrific idea. Yeah, well, to be honest, the dancing has been a huge thing. As anyone who's been into country music for the God knows how many years has known that the, around Ireland, the dancing thing is huge. You know, so we we thought, why exclude it and just make it a concert? Why not make it a, a concert that people can sit? But if people want to dance, there's a huge dance floor for them there to come and have a dance as well. You know, so it's kind of a uh, it's a unique idea and it's a, it's a gig like a concept that I've never really done before so I'm looking forward to seeing how it turns out I'm sure it's going to go very well I think it's going to be a great success and actually you and, and one of my listeners has pointed this out to me Noreen in uh, Crookstown she actually won a meet and greet on this programme to meet you at one of your gigs live at the Marquee and it was the one oh, where you recorded the DVD and obviously she yeah. went out and bought the DVD and lo and behold her <laughs> girls are on it waving and dancing uh, and you actually way. read a card out that they had written to you you read it out on stage so there was great excitement uh, yeah, so the, the live at the Very DVD, good. that was 2015, wasn't it? The 2015 so. gig. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've a better memory than me. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing what a bit of research can do for you as well, Nathan. Now, you, yeah, exactly. you've been living in Ireland now for about uh, 10 years and your brother Jake is here as well. Does that make it feel even more like home? It does, yeah. Um, Jake's been living in Ireland now for the last few years um, and he was actually living with me for a long time, uh, but to be honest, we were like uh, passing chips in the night. We never seen each other. I was on the road, or I was touring abroad, or you know. And he he was busy, obviously doing the dancing thing for 
uh, not this year but last year. So uh, and he's been busy ever since doing dancing and, and doing gigs and uh, recording away. So yeah, I don't get to see him much, but. Um, you know, Facebook and Instagram are, are marvellous things. We stay in contact all the time through them. Has, has he kept up the dancing? He has. I think um, he's actually uh, helping uh, his partner, Karen, out uh, to teach some children at the minute and he's doing a few classes with them. So um, he's, 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 he's definitely kept it up anyway, for sure. Are you a good at dancing? No, unfortunately <laughs> not. No, no. I can, I can do, I say I can waltz and I can do a bit of a jive, but that's the height. But you couldn't, you wouldn't see me doing a tango now or anything like that, you know. <laughs> now, I read an interview that you did with RSVP where you said you'd like to take a break and, and do some travelling. I mean, the majority of your 20s has been, you know, set aside building up your career. Do you feel you've missed out? Uh, I do sometimes, yeah. I mean, I, I left school at 17 and started out singing in pubs and clubs and I literally haven't stopped since. Um, I, I generally take maybe three or four weeks holiday a year, a week at Christmas, a week in July, a week in, you know, later on in the year. But yeah, I, I literally haven't. And I, I have done a lot of traveling. I've, I've been lucky enough that we're just back from America from a month of touring there and been to Germany this year already and Australia. But you know, you don't actually get to see a lot of the places. Um, it's generally hotels and, and uh, tour buses and going straight to the gig, do the gig, do the meet and greet on the bus or back to the hotel. So you don't get to see a lot of the world, you know. So I, I said um, there was a bit of... <laughs> I got a, a lot of messages after that uh, article was released because it said that I was basically taking time out I know. for people to get their tickets now and see me before <laughs> before I was going. retire. It basically sounded like I was retiring, but I'm not. I'm... I'm uh, I said up ahead, I would love to do this in the next few years, you know, maybe take a few months out and go travelling, but um, it's, it's not today or tomorrow that's happening anyway. Okay, <laughs> and, and how, how did that tour of the States go? I mean, you you're, you're really are managing to crack the States, which that's a tough market from a country music point tough. of view to break into. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I've kind of changed uh, genres slightly for the States. I've gone back to doing um, a lot of the folk music and Irish music that I grew up uh, listening to and, and singing and playing um, and uh, you know people in America they love Irish music they love Celtic music so um, I kind of have always done that as well and I'm in the middle of recording a, a folk album at the minute um, which is going to be specially aimed at that market but um, it, it's a huge market out there to, to crack but thankfully I mean the, the tour went really well a good few of the venues were sold out um, and we've now got another tour planned for um, for later on this year um, so yeah I mean it's it, it's another place, hopefully, that I can, over the next few years, branch out to and, and do more touring there and, um, you know, just uh, form new fans. It's all about just getting the name out there and the music out there. And uh, It's a lot of hard work, but I, I, I love it. I wouldn't change it for the world. Mm. Do you still get a boss when you step out on stage? I do, yeah. Yeah, I really do. Um, and, you know, you were talking about that DVD we recorded at the Marquee. Um, it was shown in America across a lot of the uh, public television stations, the PBS stations, um, over the last year. Uh, I actually seen a clip while I was there, and I, I forgot how how much um, the just energy and and great atmosphere there was at that gig in the Marquee when we recorded it, and stuff like that. When I see it, I I, I forget. You know, you, you're just doing so many gigs and you're on the road and touring. When you see something like that, it just brings it all back to how much I enjoy doing it, how much. Hopefully the crowd enjoy themselves and just I'm I'm very, very lucky to be able to do what, what I do. And you have a busy summer coming up, don't you, with gigs both here in Ireland and across the water in England? 
Yeah, we're doing a lot of festivals this year across Ireland um, and a lot of new festivals that have only just sort of appeared over the last couple of years, um, which is great to see. I mean, it kind of takes you back to um, years before I was born. I've been told about the show band days where there was marquees and tents put up in all the towns. and That seems to be definitely coming back and that, that there's a sense of, um, you know, huge um, town togetherment and the, the, everyone coming together to form these new festivals that are happening so and uh, we're booked on a lot of them and um, and then of course we, we go to England and Scotland to do our usual uh, concert tour just after the summer and then we go to America so yeah there's, there's not much not much time off to be honest so you're not taking the here. time you're not taking the time off to travel around the world then you're not retiring it, it, <laughs> it, it's, it's not this year or next year <laughs> for, for sure <laughs> okay um, lots of people sending in messages and, and, and questions Sheila says is Nathan's granny still his favourite lady <laughs> ah, she is yeah yeah she actually still comes on to orders and she sells the merchandise for, for most of the shows um, she's the, the first up in the morning and the last about at night and keep, she keeps us all in order you know and Simon from a soccer point of view uh, are you red or blue I'm a red yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was very I was very very happy the uh, last week when, whenever they won and uh, my, my mum and dad were, were at home in Liverpool and they, they went out to see the team when they, they came round Liverpool and did the bus tour with the with the big trophy, you know. So I was very delighted for all the Liverpool fans. It was amazing to see. Okay, well done. Do so well. Some yeah. of the messages in, uh, Morris says, Trish, Nathan is such a breath of fresh air. I love him to bits. Teresa says, hi, could you please tell Nathan that I love his songs. I'm wishing him all the best for uh, Friday night from his big fan, that is Teresa Collins. Can you, oh, thank, thank, you, so can you thank Nathan for all the happiness he's given us in the last seven years? That's from Peg and Mags in Darren agree. Could Nathan oh, say hello great. to Lisa Sheehan from Emmett Street in Mallow? She is a huge fan. Yes, big hello Lisa. Hope everyone in Mallow is keeping well and hopefully see you very soon. And hi Nathan, could you say hi to Donica and Connor O'Sullivan? They're both special needs non-verbal boys but they love music and you should see their little faces when Wagon Wheel comes on the radio oh, and that's, that's, from, that's from Nana Mary. Lovely to Isn't hear that. Isn't that great? Hope they're doing well. That, that is great. And I know somebody else was on, if I can find it. Uh, Andrew says, uh, hi, question. My girlfriend was looking to go to a gig at the Marquee. I'm wondering are their tickets are still available. Are there tickets still available? Yeah, we do have tickets still available. Uh, standing, there's very limited seated tickets left. But um, if you go to the Ticketmaster website or uh, the Aiken Promotions website, you can check out all the ticket information there on the, okay. the website. Yeah. And Anthony says, I went to see Nathan live in the Marquee. It was a brilliant show. I loved living with Lucy, particularly the scene where Nathan sleeps on the tour bus. It looked brilliant on TV. <laughs> did you? I actually saw that. Did you enjoy it? Oh, she's, she's such a hoot, uh, Lucy Kennedy. Did, she's you, great did you enjoy it? Yeah. You looked like did, you really yeah. enjoyed it. She, she, I got on very well with Lucy now. She was, she was immense fun. And um, a lot of people commented on that afterwards because they probably don't get to see that sort of side of me on the road and behind the scenes. And it was great fun, and uh, it's it, it just kind of shows people uh, it's not all it's cracked up to be. This this touring, traveling lifestyle, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's not all glamorous. That's for sure. Okay. Now I've got lined up your your new song, uh, "Gone Girl." So before I let you go, tell me about this. This is the new summer single. Yeah, it's uh, it's a song I recorded last month. Uh, I got contacted by a songwriter friend of mine, Don Meskel, who I do a lot of writing with, and he uh, sent me over this song, which was actually meant for 
uh, one of the country acts out in the States, but it didn't get cut in the end. Um, so he sent it to me and recorded it, and I'm out in Spain at the minute just doing a video for it. Ah. Um, so, um, and uh, returning tomorrow for, for the big gig on Friday. So yeah, this is the summer single, and it's called Gone Girls. I okay. hope you enjoy it. Okay, and bring the sunshine back with you, will you, from Spain? It's I raining here. Listen, uh, in, enjoy the gig on a Saturday, on Friday night. There's so many people looking forward to it, and uh, people can find check it all out Ticketmaster.com with that family ticket for four for a hundred euro on sale now. Nathan Carter, absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Good morning, Thank to you. Thank you so much, Bye bye. Bye bye. Tequila down in Mexico Do they slip away Into the great unknown I want to know where the gone girls go There's gotta be some place Somewhere where they Take off like that that is the latest release 
from Nathan Carter and it's got a nice summer vibe to it called Gone Girls if you're going along to the gig live at the marquee on Friday night to see Nathan in joy it is going to be a great great night out going by any of the previous Nathan Carter gigs live at the marquee and actually tomorrow here on C103 we have a free ticket Thursday for live at the marquee all day tomorrow we're giving away tickets to see Toto now Toto are performing live at the marquee this Saturday and we also have tickets to see Chris Christopherson now the wonderful Chris Christopherson plays the the Sunday of the following weekend the 23rd of June so you need to stay tuned tomorrow listen out all day we will give you a cue to call and your cue to call it's actually a cue to text or WhatsApp and you just let us know who you are and where you are and then you'll be able the chance of winning on a free ticket Thursday for live at the Marquee only here on uh, C103. 1850 Connor from Cork is on by text to say I think it's a disgrace how much plastic is in our seas. Can you wonder what our seas would be like in 10 years time no I dread to even think Connor what the seas are going to be like in 10 years time when you look at the condition they're in now it's very unsafe for fish something needs to be done about it people also need to be careful when they're in the water I mean there's a report out today it was I'm sure it was on our news earlier and I heard Simon talk about it on the breakfast show talking about if you eat fish because the fish obviously consume the plastic that ends up in the ocean and then that goes into the food chain and if you're eating fish the amount of plastic we as humans ingest and I don't know over what period of time but it's the equivalent of a credit card and I don't know if that's over a lifetime or over a certain period of time but yes the fish are ingesting the plastic it goes into the food food chain and then the humans end up with it but at the end of the day we are the ones who are the culprits for putting this plastic there in the first place. I mean, only during the week we were talking about the cable ties that have left been left behind on the polls after the local elections and European uh, elections. Like, we just all need to stop and think about single-use plastic and we can all just do it. And if everybody does their little bit, it will all eventually uh, help. But yeah, I'm with you, Connor, on that. I dread to think what the seas are going to be like in 10 years. 1850 Thank you for the questions coming in for Peter Dowdle. He'll join us after half past 12 today. You can call, text or WhatsApp. But we're going to take a break and we're back giving advice on, uh, on debt management. On tomorrow's show, I want to give you over €1,000 in cash. I'm still smiling. (laughs) And how about heading to Live with the Marquee on me? I've got the tickets for you. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. We can't wait. Plus loads of Cork's greatest hits. It is the best way to start your Thursday morning. See you tomorrow. I'm back from 6. See you Hi, I'm David Liston from One Big Switch. Did you know that Irish households have switched energy providers and saved with One Big Switch over 50,000 times? That's right, 50,000 energy switches. Now you can save too. Join now at bigirishswitch.ie and you'll receive an exclusive 10% discount off your electricity bill plus a smart home energy saving bundle from Hive for free. Remember, this offer is closing soon, so hurry. Go to bigirishswitch.ie and switch today. EAB of 998 euros. Discount off BGE standard electricity unit rates for 12 months with level
annual pay and paperless billing. Unit rate and standing charge applies. Prices and offer valid from today's date and are subject to change. For more info on EAB prices and full T's and C's of offer, see bigirishwitch.ie. Welcome to the Ford 192 sales event, driving better SUV value for you. Take the new Ford EcoSport, featuring Ford Sync Navigation touchscreen, Ford Pass with Wi-Fi connectivity, rear view camera, parking sensors and cruise control. And right now you can order a 192 Ford EcoSport with an amazing 3.9% low APR, 7 year warranty, 7 year roadside assistance and 1 year free motor tax, all from just €23,525. Order now at your local participating Ford dealer by June 30th. Ford, go further. Offer applicable to vehicles registered between July 1st and July 31st. Price excludes delivery and related charges. Terms and conditions apply. See Ford.ie. Now that the weather has improved, North Cork Creameries, Conturk, Cullen, Newtown Sands and Field Bridge have a huge range of garden products that'll have your garden in tip-top shape. From lawn fertiliser and grass seed to compost and bark mulch, they also stock a full range of agri-products from water troughs, land drainage piping, bale wrap, silage covers and silage additives. From hardware to veterinary medicine to gardening and agri-products, call to North Cork Creameries, Conturk, Cullen, Newtown Sands and Field Bridge, your local friendly agri-retail centre for all your agri-needs. Join BigIrishWitch.ie for exclusive discounts from Borgash Energy and free smart home devices from Hive. But hurry, these exclusive offers are available for a strictly limited time only at BigIrishWitch.ie. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. And thank you to Anne in Dunmanway who contacted us to say she's enjoying the show but she said she was just inside in Tara Stock which is the charity shop in Dunmanway and she said all of the staff are in there dancing to Nathan Carter's new song that we just played. So hi to the gang. There's a bunch who enjoy being at work isn't it? The great gang in Tara Stock in uh, Dunmanway. So you painted a lovely picture of them all dancing inside in the shop. Now we continue with our Awalia uh, feature which is the Free Mortgage Arrears Support Scheme which is 100% state funded and is a free service for those who find themselves in trouble paying their mortgages and outstanding bills. Joining me to discuss what is called a debt relief notice is Donal O'Mahony of MABS in Mallow. Good morning to you Donal. Good morning. Um, you're, you're welcome to the programme. OK, start by explaining to us what is a debt relief notice? OK, a debt relief notice. Um, we will start by just telling people that the Insolvency Act, which was um, introduced in 2012, I suppose, and came into being in 2013, had a number of insolvency options um, that people could um, avail of if they were in financial debt. Now, one of the options, uh, I suppose, that's least known, and maybe that's why we wanted to give us a, <laughs> an airing today, is uh, the option called a debt relief notice. Uh, we tend to call it a DRN for, for short. But anyway, a debt relief notice um, is an insolvency option for people who have debts of less than €35,000. So typically, if I'm going to be able to avail of a debt relief notice, my debts have to be at that level of €35,000 or less. Uh, typically, I'll have a low enough income and typically I'll have little or no assets. And so therefore so, no way of paying back the 35000 Or less. My, my debt may only be 5000 yeah, or 3000 yeah, or whatever yeah. the figure, but less than thirty five. that's the upper limit. So... Um, um, How does it this, work? Yeah, OK. I suppose all applications initially come through MEBS or any inquiries really should be made through the, the MEBS offices and in Cork County people will probably know 
I know that we have an office in Menway, we have an office in Cork City, we have an office in Mallow, and we have an office in Charleville, and for good measure, there's an office in Chile and Killarney in, in Kerry. So if people uh, want any information, or if they feel they might avail of it or qualify for it, or but they're not sure, uh, I suppose the, the, the guideline is, the advice is, contact your local MEDS office. There's also a MEDS helpline. If you don't want to contact the local MEDS office, there is a MEDS uh, helpline at national level. Uh, so people can contact the national helpline and they'll get the information. So the starting point really... Yeah, and then I, su- I assume then when you go to your local MEDS office, you bring certain information with you so they can assess whether you're eligible or not. Yes. So the, the money advisor in the local MEDS office We'll, we'll sit down with someone and do a quick assessment and uh, come to a view that, yes, this person is likely to qualify ticks all or most of the boxes. And again, the advice is uh, the service is free, so people, if they're anxious about their level of debt and uh, I suppose like the idea of becoming debt-free and getting a fresh start, uh, they should engage with the local meds office, uh, get the information, get the advice and proceed with the application then. Now, it, it, it's a legal process. I suppose it's important for us to say that to people as well. So um, there is a certain amount of formality about the actual application process itself when a person gets to that point. But initially, the contact with meds can be informal. You're getting information. You're getting advice. Hopefully, maybe being told that, yeah, it looks like you qualify. And can all then, of your debts be included? Or are there certain debts that can't uh, be included? Okay, there are debts that can't be included and maybe just to give a quick example of debts um, there are three categories of debts really there are, there are debts that just qualify are always included like credit card debt overdraft personal loans credit union loans utility bill arrears store credit cards they're all included from the word go there are what we call excludable debts an example might be um um, rent arrears with the local authority or nursing home charges maybe that hadn't been paid in full. Uh, there are other examples now, but, but those debts are referred to as excludable debts. But when a person is applying for a debt relief notice, an application can be made to the creditors to know if they'll agree to include those debts, and often they will. There's a third category of debts that are referred to as excluded debts, and as the name or tell them suggests, they're never included. So things like family maintenance payments uh, under court order, if I fall into arrears with that now, I can't have that type of debt with not. Mm. Uh, court fines in respect of a criminal offence. So if I have a speeding fine, I can't get that debt written off the fine involved there. So, But all your other, the, the typical type other, debts, can be included. So you go to MABS, you've got all your list of, of, of debts, I assume somebody has to approve the application. Yes. No, within medicine, the, the people who really uh, process the application are referred to as approved intermediaries. That's the title they were given under the Insolvency Act. So every med service has one or more approved intermediaries available to process an application for a person. And even at that stage, the approved intermediary will go through all of the detail with the applicant and advise them at any point if they feel look that that for some reason uh, they may not qualify or it might not be the right option for them but um i suppose the the advice is i'm repeating myself or the advice is 
to make the inquiry, establish for oneself whether can or cannot qualify. And if I can then, uh, do I want to proceed with it? Um, I'm saying, look, it, it's a legal process. So all of the information I provide on my official application for a debt relief notice has to be accurate and truthful because I'm underpinning my application with an affidavit saying that I've provided all true accurate information and details. And if I didn't, I suppose there are some consequences. Uh, the obvious one that subsequently my debt relief notice could be declared invalid by the circuit court who initially provides me with my debt relief notice if I qualify. So it's important anyway that people provide and, and, you're, and you're honest, yeah. How, how does it affect the credit rating in the future? Yeah, probably depends uh, on, on the different financial providers. The, the, the one rule that does exist is if I have obtained a debt relief notice and I'm applying for credit in the future, I am legally obliged to provide that information to the lender that I'm applying to for a loan. So... Um, it's up to each individual provider of credit in subsequently to decide how they'll react to the fact that I have benefited from a diff relief notice mm. previously. Um, so each and all of them will have their own policies in that regard. Um, and what about if, if I have a number of creditors? Can a, can a creditor object? A creditor can object on, on, on different grounds and... Um, Ultimately decided by the um, the application goes from the approved intermediary within the MEBS office to the Insolvency Service of Ireland's office. And it's the Insolvency Service of Ireland's office that lodges the application with the circuit court for the debt relief notice to be issued. Now, if the approved intermediary or if the Insolvency Service of Ireland notice anything um, in relation to a date that might disqualify me, they'll raise it with me, obviously. If a creditor raises it um, prior to the application, the approved intermediary and the Insolvency Service of Ireland will make a determination that the objection by the creditor is valid or not valid. Okay. And ultimately then, it's the circuit court will make a final decision and if a creditor wasn't happy, they can they can um, lodge their objection. Okay, and what about if if the circumstances change, like I get a, uh, my dream job and it's really well paid, or as we're hearing from Mallow today, somebody is walking around Mallow with a five hundred thousand euro lottery ticket that they bought in Danos. You know, what if something like that happens? Okay, well, um, we, we we we'd be delighted if someone. Typically, for most of us, we want to do winning tickets. But yeah, we might uh, move from a social welfare level of income back into employment. Okay. So I have to notice the insolvency service of Ireland that my circumstances have changed. And I, without getting deep into the nuances and detail of it, I might be asked to make a contribution then for the remaining period of this relief notice. Which is uh, three years, isn't it? Supervisory period is three years. Yes. three years, So okay. if I'm two years into my debt relief notice, I return to employment or whatever, or yeah. I get um, a lump sum of money from somewhere for whatever reason, lotto <laughs> excluded, yeah. um, I'm obliged to notify the Insolvency Service of okay. Ireland, and I most likely will have to make some contribution, but it's only for the remaining 
12 month period. But, but if none of that happens and the, you come to the end of the three years, that's it, the debt is gone. My debts are obviously yeah, written up at that point. Okay, and, and it, is, it is a free service? It's a free service, methods is a free service at all times, and this relief notice application is a free service. The only small fee that's involved in the whole process is where I'm obtaining an affidavit from a solicitor or a peace commissioner uh, right at the point where my application is going to be submitted. And that typically would be less than €15, I'd imagine. Mm. And are many many people using this debt relief notice or have many people used it? We were looking for steps this morning, which we didn't get. um, But I I, I suppose the main reason we decided to talk to you today about debt relief notice is that we believe that there are a lot of people out there who are either unaware or maybe they're not happy at the idea of writing off or having a debt written off um, Mm. involving a particular creditor. Okay. That, that that can be a little stumbling block sometimes. But I think our main issue is that it's probably the lesser known of the insolvency options and it's somewhat still under the razor, even though MEBS has been at all times um, conveying the, the information to people that we meet. But obviously, uh, the, the, the likelihood is that there are still a lot of people out there uh, who may be struggling with with mm-hmm. this, and you know, we, we mm-hmm. years previously we've spoken about the effect that financial debt can have on individuals and Absolutely. families, and it gives enormous pressure on them. So we are saying, look, if you're in this position where you still have debts that you're struggling with, and the total of your debt is less than thirty five thousand, your assets are not great, and your income is at a low enough level. There's help. Simply talk to meds and yeah, there, there, there's help. And, and, and if this def, debt relief notice uh, is not for you, uh, Donal, the money advisor at MABS will be able to explore other options. Uh, absolutely, and we do that all of the time. And we refer to those as uh, making voluntary arrangements on behalf of um, people who are in debt with the whole gamut of creditors that they owe money or no money to. Uh, so that goes, that goes on on a daily basis. So... You know, if you make an inquiry about the debt relief notice and you come to the view yourself for whatever reason that no, I really want to proceed with this, MEDS can still help you and yeah. support you in obtaining voluntary arrangements with a creditor or creditors. Okay. All right, uh, Donald, a mine of information as always. Um, how can people contact MABS? Okay, yeah, we, we've a list of numbers. Obviously, they're all 076 numbers, which are low call numbers. So the child of a office is contactable on 076-107-2420. The Dunmanway office, again, 076-107-2450. Our own office in Mallow is 076-107-2440. And the Cork City office is 076-107-2090. Um, the helpline number, just to give that to people, mm. is again 076 uh, So people can contact us, obviously, by phone, call into the offices, email us. And, you know, generally, if you go MEBS, you'll get onto the MEBS website and you can look for a specific office number or email address. And we'll only be more than happy to give whatever information we can okay. to people. And don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. Well, uh, There's been be ma- many more before you and there'll be, unfortunately, many more after you. Yeah, I, I, I suppose we tend maybe not to think of it anymore in the early years. We, we were always at pains to um, 
tell people that look our service the one thing we can guarantee and do guarantee people all of the time is confidentiality absolutely you're fantastic for that alright Jonah we leave it there thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us thank you good morning you're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed your calls and comments coming in on a variety of different issues when we were talking about people who don't have an asset and being entitled to the fair deal uh, scheme and someone was saying it's because that they weren't they didn't work and they couldn't afford a house somebody makes the point a lot of people Patricia work very hard and still can't afford to pay for a house and actually on that topic a listener has sent in a WhatsApp saying Patricia can you please tell me what are the government going to do to sort out our social welfare system? I live on a disability allowance and I've just found out for my prepay power that my electricity charges are going to go up by five euro a week. This will mean that I'll have to put 20 euro a week in onto the meter because it's prepay power every single week. I live on my own. I have a one bedroomed house. I normally use €12 a week. Now it'll go to €20 a week. The government are not bringing the social welfare payment up to a standard of living. And then last night on the Irish News, I heard something about the Christmas bonus. What is that about? I only heard some bit of it. I don't don't know what the Christmas bonus would be about. And it's a bit early for the mentioning of the Christmas bonus unless there was something passed yesterday to say they're going to pay the Christmas bonuses. I've certainly seen nothing today on any of the papers about the uh, Christmas bonus. But a lot of people are giving out about the electricity has uh, gone up. And of course, prepay power. It's a great way for people who are on a very limited budget who don't want to run the risk of a large bill coming in but it is a more expensive way of buying in your electricity as well and if you're living on your own on a disability allowance what's is it just over 200 euro a week now wasn't there a 5 euro increase I think it's 203 euro a a week hard to live on hard to live on and and you sound like you're trying to do everything and and not have bills uh, come in but no I certainly haven't heard of any there's no talk of increase in social welfare the next time we'll hear about a talk of an increase in social welfare will be in the October budget and then I guarantee you if it is an increase the increase will probably be the same as it has been for the last couple of years which is five euro which is a little bit better than when they were cutting social welfare I suppose and then that payment won't come in until it was the end of March sometimes they have it in in time for St Patrick's uh, Day but certainly no I've heard nothing of social welfare payments being uh, increased also on the, they are questions for Peter, so we'll leave those aside. On tipping, we're still getting in a lot of calls on tipping and what should we do about tipping and why people tip and how people feel about uh, tipping. And this is all tied in with the Minister for Employment Affairs and Social Protection, Regina Doherty. She is talking about introducing new rules which would stop some employers. And I say some because I imagine this isn't happening in very many places. But she wants, she's heard of some employers who are using tips to make up wages. So if somebody's entitled to €400 a week and €80 come in on tips, then that person will only get €320 and they're given the €80, which was their tips, and that makes it up to the 400 and that just seems very, very unfair. James says, if I go into a bar and I want to tip the barmaid because I've had very nice service and I might offer can I buy you a drink? And she'll say, thank you very much, I'll have that drink later on when I'm off duty. 
I'm buying that drink and giving that tip for her and her alone. But I feel many staff need the tips due to the wages being so low in this country. And that goes back to Irish employers. They should be paying far more. We do have a minimum wage, though, in this country, James. So it is illegal to be paying below the minimum wage. That's not to say it doesn't go on, but it is illegal. Nancy in Dunmanway then on the whole issue of whether to tip or not to tip. That is the question. Nancy says, would I tip my butcher for cutting my meat? Would I tip my shopkeeper when he tells me how much my shopping comes to? No, I would not. So I don't agree with tipping. People get a wage for doing a job in the first place and that's it. We shouldn't be giving any tips to anyone. That's from Nancy in Dunmanway. And then a couple of people are on about plastic and the amount of plastic in the oceans and the amount of plastic in the environment. Anne says, I keep hearing people on about plastic and the amount of plastic in our seas. And there's that stat to say that in a number of years time, there will be more plastic in the sea than fish. But Anne says, this is not a new thing. Plastic isn't a new thing. Plastic was invented and has been around since the 50s. So what happened to the plastic then that went into the seas? Yes, lots of plastic items are washed up on our beach, but are people making too big a deal about it now? I agree we need to cut down, but can we really do without plastic? I feel plastic is the new buzzword at the moment. It just seems to be cool to be talking about cutting down on plastic and the environmental uh, issues. But the reason um, that we have the problem with the plastic now is exactly as you've said. It's because plastic has been around and became popular in the 50s and 60s and all of that plastic has mounted up and has gone into the seas and it's accumulating and accumulating and accumulating because when it goes into the seas it's going to take hundreds of years to biodegrade. So that's the reason we have a problem now. We have a problem now because all of the plastic that has been used by previous generations and this generation and if we don't do something it's the future generations are the ones that are going to suffer. And Jerry in Ballyvillan is kind of with Anne in Bantry as well saying that there's just everyone seems to be talking about plastic at the moment and Jerry worries that we're we're talking too much about the environment and not talking enough about other issues. He said we've had four people have died on our city streets in the last few weeks. The amount of people sharing homes with other families. Why? Because they simply cannot afford to put a roof over their head. And a lot of these people are working. They're not all unemployed people. Yes, we do need to talk about the environment and what's wrong with the environment. But I also think people need to be more concerned about humans than they are about plastic. We have humans dying on our streets. That's what we need to be focusing on. Not talking so much about plastics. Would other people agree? 1850-333-103 And Peter in Cove. Now, I don't know if Peter's comment is... I think it's going to go down like a lead balloon with some of our older listeners. Peter in Cove wonders, should... RTE followed the BBC with the announcement that the BBC have made this week that they plan to scrap the free television licence for people in the United Kingdom. Now it's slightly different in the United Kingdom in that people get a free TV licence operated by the BBC once they're over the age of 75 and the TV licence in in the United Kingdom is, I think it's about the same, 154.50. That's sterling, so it's in or around the same as what's what's ours, 160. So it's it's probably a little bit more expensive when you do the conversion of um, 
sterling. Anyway, at the moment, over 70s, over 75s in the United Kingdom are entitled to a free television licence. But the BBC plan to scrap the free licence for the people in the United Kingdom. And Donal is wondering, should RTE do the same thing? Now, what happens in this country is it's people over the age of 70 get a TV licence free as part of their household benefits package. I thought they got it when they were 66, but I was reading in the paper that it's, is, is it only for over 70s? I thought when you got your old age pension, you got your free TV licence. Anyway, regardless, we give the free television licence to older people and it's an annual cost of €160. Peter and Cove reckons because RTE are always saying that they need more money and they need more money to pay their staff and they need more money to make new programmes etc and they're always giving out that they never have enough uh, money even though the BBC and RTE are two very different entities the BBC only rely on television licence whereas RTE have television licence and they're able to sell advertising as well so they have a second stream of income coming in anyway Peter reckons that RTE should follow suit and should scrap the free television licence for older people. Now, as I say, I think that particular statement is going to go down like a lead balloon, particularly by older people. I mean, we've already had that person who contacts us on a disability allowance, and a person with disability allowance, unless they're an elderly person, are not entitled to a free TV licence. But many people and many old age pensioners, particularly the ones that are only living on a state pension, they have a very limited income in which to pay all of their bills and put food on the table and heat themselves and buy themselves clothes etc and one of the luxuries I think when they get to old age they've worked hard all of their lives you know we give them the, the TV licence but Peter says no RTE need it and therefore now at the moment at the moment RTE say that they don't have plans and the reason they don't have plans is it isn't up to them to decide who gets a free television licence it's the department of communications. They are the ones responsible for collecting the licence fee. At the moment, they do it via on post. And then the department hands the chunk of the money over to the RTE. Now, a small proportion of it goes to different media organisations, but the vast majority of the TV licence goes by way of a grant to RTE. So it isn't within their remit as it is in the in the United Kingdom. The BBC can decide because it's their main funding stream. They are the ones who can decide that we don't want we want to stop giving a free TV licence to older people I, d- I don't know Peter whether they whether RTE need money or not or whether the BBC need money or not and that's the reason they're scrapping the free television licence for over 75s I think it's pretty mean spirited I really do I really do now I know the population over in England is very different and they have a much bigger population even though we have an ageing population over here and there's probably a huge number of people over the age of 75 I don't know if I can see uh, a figure on how many people are, are already getting um, 3.7 million alright it's a lot of people get the free TV licence in the United Kingdom but I, I I don't know if I'm with you Peter on saying that we should follow suit in this country and scrap it I just think it'll come across as very mean spirited and, and can I also say to any because it would be a politician it would have to be somebody in the Department of Communications would have to decide on it can I also remind the politicians should they decide that this may be a way of making some extra money for RTE or for other media outlets to scrap the TV licence can I remind them of what happened when they tried to means test the medical card 
for older people. Can I remind them of the grey vote and the protests that went underway? And remember that when the older people mobilised themselves and some of them picked up their Zimmer frames and they got on trains, buses and cars and they descended in Dublin and there was a huge outpouring at that protest and the government had to back down at the time. They realised we made a big, big mistake here. So I think if you go down that route of taking the television licence away from older people, I think we would see similar protests. Maybe I'm wrong, but I really do think we would. 1850 Interested in your thoughts. Are you with Peter and Cove on this one? Who says RTE need the money. So give up your television licence to the older people and give the money to RTE instead. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Butterfield Soccer Club, they're running from the 15th of July to the 19th of July. But please note that the closing date for your entries is the 15th, which is this Saturday. Call John at 87 9266890. Blood Transfusion Service have got donor clinics in the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen 3 to 5 this afternoon and 7 to 9 tonight. While the Shandon Area History Group are inviting you to join Anne Toomey for a stroll through the Victorian quarters of Cork. That's on this evening. You meet at the Summer Hill end of McCurtain Street at 7pm. A general quiz will be held in Ballancolic GAA Club tonight at 8pm. It's part of the Bell of Ballancolic Festival. It's €40 Euro for a team of four. There'll also be a raffle for four Munster Rugby tickets. This year's Cope Foundation Golf Classic will be held in Douglas Golf Club tomorrow Thursday and again on Friday. It's in aid of their independent living facility. You register through the Cope Foundation website for tea times. Great prizes, including a chance to win a car. Ballonhasic Community Development, they've got a fundraising Kaylee in the Marion Hall. That's this Friday night. Music by Jer Murphy and dancing is from 9.45 to 12.30. And there is a family fun day at Ballyclaw National School next Sunday from 12 to 3pm. Barbecue, donkey derby, pony rides, cake sale, big screen for the match, bouncy castle and lots of novelties. And please note, admission is free. Hundreds of jellyfish washed up on Inchidani Beach in Clonakilty at the weekend. Local hotelier Dina O'Donovan was out for a walk on the beach when she spotted what she described as an abnormal amount of jellyfish washed up on the shore. And uh, Dina joins me. Good, Good afternoon to you, Dina. Hello, Patricia. How are you? I'm ve- I'm very well. Now you've lived all your life in this area. Have you ever seen so many jellyfish on in Chidani Strand? Never, never that many in such a concentrated amount. Really, it just was amazing. And what time of the day was it? Um, it was mid morning, Sunday morning. The tide had just come in. The tide was in full, and I was walking on the edge of the beach, and I, I noticed. Um, a prolific amount of jellyfish and as I rounded the corner onto the Western Channel it just became more and more and more and it was amazing. I mean, were all at the edge of the beach at the edge of the tide. Uh, if you count them all you, you will be talking uh, hundreds? Thousands. Thousands? Thousands. And they, but then they washed back in again did they? And when the tide went back out? Well I had to go back to work <laughs> I had to go back to work and the following morning I, I walked along the same stretch of beach and I only saw about 15 in the whole beach and they were kind of like as if they were melting into the sand you know they were amazing I reckon the whole lot was washed out again two times later 
Yeah, and is so this is this why. the time of year for jellyfish? Well, they do, you know, on, on occasion you see kind of an influx of them, but never in this vast amount. And um, they'd be there for a few days, and you kind of say, oh, is this a sign of heat and everything? And then suddenly they might be gone again. I was actually going to go for a swim that morning, but I changed my mind. I went the following day when there was no no, no sign of any jellyfish. But I was, because the danger with the jellyfish is um, you can get a very bad sting. Well, these jellyfish um, only give a sting like like a nettle, you know. Okay. They're, they're called purple, Western Isles, purple jellyfish or mauve jellyfish. I don't know much about them, but I did Google them when I came back to work. And um, it seems that they, they come in and out on the tides. But locally, we always used to think of them as being a sign of good weather because we don't see them much in the winter. We see them kind of heading into the summer. So uh, I'm going to hold on to that thought. Absolutely, <laughs> we're going to we're going to stick with that. Have you ever been stung by a jellyfish? Oh, many times. Not always in Ireland, but but many times, yeah. Oh, it's it's just it's like an you you describe it as being like a nettle sting. Like a like a nettle sting, yeah. But the problem is if there are that many if, if there are those windows, and if you're swimming and you come up from under the water, they kind of sit on your back. You know, they might have two or three stings at oh. the same time, and that's when it would get painful. Oh. Oh, painful. Even, even, but even a nettle sting is painful. Horrible. Well, it, it horrible. I, horrible. I think you'd only be in danger if you were kind of an allergic Yeah, reaction. if you get an allergic reaction. I've heard a lot of a jellyfish stinging you at the same time. What about dogs? You bring your dogs well, down onto the beach. My dog is running along the beach on top of the jellyfish and it didn't seem to cause them any issue. Um, I, I, I'm not a jellyfish expert, but I'm assuming the sting is on the underside. So yeah. it's a, even if you were walking on your bare feet, you'd probably be safe enough. I, I'm not an expert on that, but yeah. that's what my thinking is anyway. Okay, and the summer season is upon <laughs> us, even though we haven't got it weather-wise. But hopefully this um, influx of jellyfish is a sign of what's what's to come. Are there many people around? There's a, it's starting to build now. There's quite a few tourists starting to appear. Um, hopefully we're all heading in the right direction. Once the exams are over, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll have a, a big series influx of uh, jellyfish tourists. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping for that. Yeah, it would be great. It would, yeah. it would be great. Okay, I'll let you go because I know it's a busy time right, of the day coming up to lunch. Thanks for that, Tina. Um, it's uh, Dino Donovan who joins us. She's a local hotelier also in Clam, but uh, keep a look out of you down by the beach. A huge, huge number of jellyfish uh, washing up there at the uh, weekend. Now, some of your, keep your calls coming in for Peter Dowdle please, your gardening questions. But I can see some comments coming in about the other Peter that I mentioned. And that was the Peter from Cove who dares to suggest that RTE should follow the BBC's lead. The BBC with their plans to scrap the free television licence for over 70s in the United Kingdom. And Peter is saying that actually you need, need more money and that that's what needs to happen. Older people can afford to pay their television licence of 160 a year. Everyone else has to pay it kind of thing. So older people should pay it as well. Margaret says, if RTE needs money so badly, why are they paying such huge salaries? That Peter, says the text with no name on this, that Peter would want to get it life. I'd hate for him to be running the country. Another, John says, hi Patricia, I see on post are bringing more inspectors. Lots of people don't pay it and lots have good paying jobs in the public sector. So we need to track down the people who are not paying their television licence, which I think runs at about 40%. It's a very high number 
who I'm I'm not talking about older people now. The older people are entitled to their free licence, but there's a very high number of people who are meant to pay their television licence who don't. And if all of them paid, I don't think we'd have Peter and Cove suggesting that we give up the free TV licence for older people. And that's what John is saying. Get out more inspectors knocking on doors and catching the people who should be paying their TV licence every year and uh, don't uh, do it. Hi Patricia, Peter obviously isn't getting a free TV licence. He sounds jealous of those that are, says a texter. And also by text, the BBC should pay less on their stars on salary. Their salaries are through the roof and please don't take it from the pensioners. And it's one of the things when it came out in England or in the United Kingdom that they are scrapping the old the uh, the pension the, for the pensioners it did come out I saw somewhere where they were talking about Gary Lineker I know was one of the ones he's the host of Match of the Day and he takes home £1.8 million pounds sterling uh, a year and the BBC their outlay on salaries last year was £148 million pounds and that was for presenters alone and that's one of the points that's been picked up in the United Kingdom that the BBC can pay that kind of money and yet they're kind of being very I think mean spirited in deciding to take it away from older people. Hi Patricia does a person have to live alone in order to get the free television licence? I've got my wife and son living with me will I still get one? So I take it when you say will I you're not at the age yet in order to get the free television licence um, let me see if I can just very quickly see have I got it here in front of me I don't I'll have to do some I think people are saying it's for over 70s I th- I didn't think it was for over 70s I thought it was once you once you hit old age pension age I'll have to do a little bit of research for you on that and I'll get back to you I d- as far as I know you don't have to be living alone I mean I know certainly if you're entitled to the household benefits package then you do get a free television licence. Now I don't know what your situation is, if you're entitled to it uh, or not and the household benefit package, it gives you the electricity and the gas allowance and that's paid to people over the age of 70. But for actual old age pensioners, because you'll have pensioners who are not entitled to the household benefits package but are entitled to the uh, to the old age pension I'll, I'll do a bit of research for you but it may be tomorrow before I get back to you as to whether they're entitled to the TV licence or not 1850 John Paul taking your calls keep your questions coming in for Peter Dowdall please and just a final two comments in John in Cove says I support Peter also from Cove I think the free TV licence should go for old age pensioners they are costing the state a fortune again John I'm assuming you're not an old age pension and uh, Nora and a few others have said that people on invalidity pension and disability pension are also entitled to a free TV licence so it isn't just old age pensioners okay thank you for that This is the Court Today replay on C103 Peter Dowdell of the IrishGardener.com uh, joining us on a huge amount of questions in for Peter. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm not too bad. Certainly not the sunny day for being out in the garden, but when I was moaning about the rain uh, yesterday or on Monday, somebody said, Patricia, isn't it great for the gardens? 
Well, we'd be lost without it, wouldn't we? Mm. <laughs> but if the temperatures would just start to increase now, I'd be happy. It's cold for June. Yeah, yeah, it is. And Met Erin is saying it's below for this time of year. I think it's to pick up a little bit tomorrow, so fingers crossed. OK, I'm going to go straight into questions. Um, you spoke last week about a beer trap for slugs in the garden. Maraid wants to know, what did you mean by a beer trap? Okay, yeah, well, it's one of the it's one of the ways of dealing with what is our most common pest problem in the garden, and not just in Ireland, but in this part of the world, England and Ireland, by, by far, in a way, the biggest pest problem we face is slugs and snails. So what I was talking about last week was a lot of the slug pellets, unfortunately, the majority of slug pellets that are on sale contain an active ingredient called methaldehyde, which is highly toxic to slugs, obviously, but also to the natural predators like birds and hedgehogs, and even it goes further, uh, domestic pets children, ourselves, humans, it's toxic to all of us. So I would uh, strongly urge, and even use stronger words, <laughs> to encourage not pe- people not to use any pellets containing methaldehyde because they're far too toxic to be to be putting into our gardens and into our own, you know, if we're growing our own food, to be putting into the food circle. So do avoid them. Uh, take that 10 seconds in a garden centre to look at the active ingredient in the slug pellet. If it says methaldehyde, leave it behind you. There are other slug pellets in the market containing ferric phosphate, which is iron phosphate, just as effective with slugs and snails, uh, but not at all damaging to, to the, the environment around it. And one of the other ways to control slugs and snails is by using beer traps. Now, what that is, you can actually buy the, the preformed traps in a garden centre uh, and just fill them with beer. And what you do is, or you can make your own, uh, you know the, the yoghurt containers and mm. fish that would have the plant, not the tiny ones, but you know the larger ones that have the kind of yeah, glitter. Yeah, the half a litre ones, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So if you get one of them, and just don't make holes in the lid, but make holes on the side of it, up at the top, okay? Just a, a hole big enough for a slug or a snail to get in. Uh, fill it with beer, about half full, so that the beer will, the, the scent of the beer will attract the, the slugs and snails. They'll go in, they'll drown, they'll die a happy death, I have no doubt. Um, but because the lid is still on, they're not then uh, available to the birds or to surrounding wildlife. Even though uh, alcohol in that formulation, to the best of my knowledge, uh, isn't toxic to, to surrounding wildlife. Right, yeah. um, so that's what I'm talking about. To make your own using an old yogurt container or similar, uh, the, the the top of the beer trap, whether it's shop bought or homemade, should be kind of at soil surface. It's, so if you can understand what I mean, that the, the hole that you make in the yogurt container should be just at the surface of the soil, so the slug can easily walk into it. Okay, and uh, Maureen and Clonakilty, along with others, I have to say, have contacted to say the rhubarb isn't doing too well this year. Uh, Maureen was the one wondering, could you put farmyard uh, manure on it? But other people just looking for advice. Have you noticed that rhubarb isn't doing too well this year? Well, you, you could put farmyard manure in it, but it, it actually even responds, I think, better to a good seaweed feed. And I would have to agree, I have never, ever in all my years at this game... Uh, had so many questions about rhubarb and I was putting a lot of them down and we've had this question several times in your programme over the last week uh, and I was, you know, advising people which is, I suppose, the textbook advice, if you like, to lift the crowns in the autumn, winter uh, or the rhubarb stools and divide them and replant them, give them a good, rich feed uh, or a mulch even with a good seaweed feed at that time of the year or the nature-safe granule or something like that because they are they do respond well to feeding. But you know what? There's been so many questions the only thing I can put it down to is the exceptional summer last year. I think it must be a result of the drought we had last year that the rhubarb isn't thriving because it's it's not just that I'm getting a lot of questions about rhubarb, it's I'm nearly being stopped in Dunn stores to be asked about the rhubarb. Yeah, it's too so coincidental. In fact, I think, yeah. in, fact, in fact, I think I have been stopped in Dunn stores <laughs> to ask about rhubarb. So it, 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 there's far too many queries for it to be, as you say, coincidental. I think it must be a result of the drought last year. So the advice I would give to anyone is what I said at the 
start there, lift them in the autumn, uh, divide them. They will always respond well to that anyway. Replant them then immediately uh, and mulch. Give them, a, give them a good mulch with farmyard manure if you want or else a good even seaweed from the beach or a good seaweed feed. OK, can you quickly name the liquid lawn feed that you spoke about last week? A listener missed it. Oh, that was somebody who was on looking for a short, sharp shock solution, yeah. if you like. So the instant green uh, instant green it, it does exactly what it says in the tin I've used it myself uh, it greens up the lawn it, it doesn't give it any it doesn't have really great long term effects uh, but it's chelated iron it'll give the it'll green up the grass instantly over 24 hours and because there's an iron content in it it will also it doesn't advertise itself as this but I've seen it from experience it does also kill any moss in the garden because of the iron content and from Bantry, I have a wild rose with lots of buds. I planted it from a slip two years ago. It's growing on a ditch. This year, it's spread out a lot and it's now growing onto the grass. Should I cut it back? Cutting it back overground isn't going to do anything except encourage more more sideways growth, if you like. So letting it grow up isn't isn't a problem. But this is what this is why I suppose they're wild, if you like, because they are vigorous to the point of nearly being invasive. Now, they're gorgeous wild roses, they're stunning, but you do need to have them in the right place. So, in other words, you do need to have them somewhere where you're happy for them to cut, take over the area. Um, if they start interfering with your lawn, what, what I'd suggest nearly if take it out of the ditch and put it somewhere else where it has more space, because this is going to be a, a constant battle if you leave it where it is. You're going to be constantly cutting it out from the lawn, but you're not cutting it overground, you're cutting it underground. So you're, you're cutting the roots. Um, you could do it now. It's better to do it during the winter. Just go down with a sharp spade uh, and, and cut straight down, lift the, the, the clumps that are growing through the lawn because they'll have developed their own root system. Uh, it's not enough just to sever them from the parent plant. They'll grow all on their own. So you need to cut the roots and lift out the ones that are growing in the lawn. That would be a problem, an ongoing problem. So I would suggest moving it if you can at all. A very brave person. A Douglas listener says, I collect my slugs in my garden and I take them for a walk to a nearby woods. Um, Hi Peter I've lots of buds on my roses but some of them are not opening they just look wet and rotting I have sprayed for black spot and green fly earlier what would Peter think? Well just going back to the Douglas sister the the, he or she is doing the absolute right thing of course it's oh I know best, it's just the, the idea of picking up the slugs it. yeah <sighs> I, do it, I do it myself for what it's worth but yeah um, anyway uh, yeah no, it's, it's spraying for green fly on that I would, number one I wouldn't encourage to spray for green fly on that because you don't know a lot of those insecticides are doing an awful lot of harm uh, particularly to the bee population which we don't want to be doing um, and also it's completely futile unfortunately because this isn't an insect problem it's, it's a fungal problem um, so you're putting on insecticide there unnecessarily and unfortunately possibly damaging the environment around you so just be careful what you are putting on in the first place this is this bud rot it's called rosebud rot it's it's fungal and it's caused unfortunately by the low temperatures and, and moist weather we're having at the moment I would say the best thing you can do and you probably won't listen probably won't like this advice but is to, to cut off any of the buds and the growing shoots that have rotten buds on them uh, and dump them and spray with a solution of copper sulfate mixed with water which is a good broad spectrum organic fungicide uh, and, and feed them with the cooling rose root just to encourage more flower shoots you will get more flowers don't worry uh, but I would the, the fungal infection that gets into the bud rot or to cause the bud rot is also going to weaken the plant so it is important really to, to prune off the infected ones and feed them and, and Mary McCroom says uh, could you ask Peter do I need to dilute the water that I soaked nettles in a few weeks ago before I put it on my plants 
I would say yes. It's a difficult any homemade remedy like that. It's difficult to give exact advice um, uh, because it, it depends on the strength. So obviously, it would depend if you want to get very technical. It would depend on how many kilos of of nettles you used per liter of water. So. A good rule of thumb, I would say, is the solution that you have made, I would dilute it up to 10 to 1 with water and then feed away. Okay, Becky in Ballydehab has tomato plants. The leaves are rolling back. The plants have fallen over. They're dark in colour, but the plants never grew tall. I wonder, when she says the leaves are rolling, I just wonder, are they fall, they, they, a lot of them, sorry, a lot of them will fall over if they're not staked. So it could be it could be as simple as that, just a bamboo with some twine. Uh, a lot of them then are like particularly the tumbling varieties, and a lot of the cherry varieties will will their natural habit isn't to grow tall; it's to grow kind of bushy and and to tumble to trail. Uh, so it dep- does depend on the variety. That might be the answer. If the leaves, the bit I'd be concerned about is the leaves going back. If the leaves, she says they're dark in colour, which is good. Like if they look healthy enough, except just that they're growing, they're falling over the wrong way. Yeah. Then, then yeah. you're probably okay. But if the leaves are looking anyway hungry or sick, you know, tomatoes can, can suffer from blight, the same type of blight as potatoes, and it's quite common and it's normally caused by too much or too little water. Um, but I would expect her to be telling me that if that was the case, I would expect the, the caller to be saying that the leaves are showing a bit of yellowing or the leaves aren't healthy. The fact that they're saying the leaves are dark green, I think it might be just the type of tomato that they're yeah. growing. Hang in there, hang in there. Where's Sean in Bantry? has a different issue. He set potatoes about six to eight weeks ago. When they grew up, the stalks turned black. They were rotten. It's the second time that it has happened. What is the cause? Could it be frost or blight? Or is it too cold for blight? There has been blight warnings and the way he's describing it does sound like blight. Uh, it also sounds like frost, but it's too late. We haven't really had frost in the last number of weeks. So uh, I, without seeing it, it's difficult to say for certain, but I would my, my gut would tell me it's blight. Um, frost will, will send the growing tips black, um, but you wouldn't expect, particularly at this time of the year in the last few weeks, for it to, send, to turn all the stalks black. What turns all the stalks black like that uh, and rots them is, is potato blight, I'm afraid. OK, and Willie in Liscarrel has an oak tree in his garden. Uh, one is 50 years old. The leaves have gone very scarce. It looks like it's dying. He said there, there are some leaves on the branches, but only a few while the other oak trees in the garden are fine. Doesn't sound good. Where, where is Willie is his name? Where, yeah, in, li- in, in Liscarroll. Liscarroll. Yeah, I, I wouldn't like to, to hazard a guess on that over the radio without seeing it. I would okay. say I would say get a, a, a qualified arborist down to Liscarroll. There's Neil Vaughan, who I use at the base of that part of the world. Uh, I would get on to somebody like Neil, ask him to have a look at it. Are, are any qualified, you know, Arborist that you can trust. There'll be a charge, but um, for a fifty-year-old tree, it's worth it, isn't it? It's absolutely worth yeah. it. And unfortunately, there are there are particularly phytophthora. There are some that'll cause uh, sudden oak uh, death. So it's worth getting somebody to look at that. I'm afraid I, okay. I couldn't hazard an answer over, over the phone. That's yeah. perfect. Sheila in Bohabui. When is the best time to transplant flame of the forest plant? It's gone too big for where it's pleasant presently growing. And what would be the best manure to put on laurel? It's the ordinary green laurel. It's got very yellow in appearance. That was planted two years ago. The first is okay. the flame of the forest. The flame of the forest, stunning plant, but it does get quite big. Yeah, it, it can get to kind of eight, nine feet and, and even more. Uh, the best time to move it, the only time really that I'd advise moving it is during the month of January when it's 
should be totally dormant. Any evergreen shrub like that, really, I'd leave off till January when hopefully the ground is frozen, the plant has gone totally fast asleep for the winter, so it has a chance to repair any root damage caused during the move. Um, so I would do it in January, cut it back hard around about the same time. I'd nearly cut it back by about 50%, um, get as big a root ball as possible, have the new hole waiting for it so it's not out of the ground at any time of the year, uh, and then water it well next summer. Um, because you have damaged a lot, you will damage a lot of the root system. Um, it's unavoidable, so do keep it well watered. A, a good mulch with a good rich compost can be homemade or shop bought or, or farmer manure, anything. Give it a good mulch uh, and keep it well watered next year. Doing all that, uh, you still have to qualify it by saying there is still quite a substantial risk that is it won't survive the transplant. But that's the only way to try it. Okay. Um, with the with the, the laurel, just yeah. on that one, uh, maybe maybe a mulch of farmyard manure as well would work there, or any kind of good homemade compost. It, it, yellowing is caused either by nitrogen or magnesium deficiencies. It's a bit hungry, or it could also have been caused by last year's drought. It's only two years old, so it's very possible still suffering from last year. This year looks like it's going to cure it all on its own. Um, another, the, the granular nature safe feed, which I which I've been recommending, is, is the plant based one, which is a very good one. Just if you do, if you rather get something like that as opposed to a, a mulch or a manure, that would do a very good job as well. Okay, Margaret in Mallow. Very quickly, violas in a window box. They keep getting some kind of fungus, and then they droop and break off easily. What is the reason yeah. for this? It happened yeah. last year. I'd say if I asked her, are there black spots in the leaves? And she'd tell me yes. Uh, it, 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 it's a fungal infection specific to violas and pansies. It's viola black spot, and it it. It's, I'm afraid incurable once you get it and more often than not and I'm not going to ask her where she got it because that wouldn't be fair because it could, could be from any garden centre or any shop in the country uh, more often than not you'll you get it you'll buy them with it um, and that's it, 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 next to impossible for the garden centre or the nursery to, to spot it until it starts showing the black spots but if you're looking for violas in a garden centre make sure you don't buy any that have any signs of yellow leaves or black spots because once they have it you can't fix it I'm afraid and Jim has sent in a stunning photograph of a photograph from his garden with an arch which has red and white roses. Red on one side, white on the other side. The red come out every year, but he said the white ones only come out every three years and it's normally a sign of a bad summer. Oh. He said we're having a bad summer and he sent me a picture it's full of, full of white roses. This Isn't piece. nature funny? Isn't nature funny? Have you seen that? He's wondering have you seen that before where, where rose, roses, the red one comes out every year but the white one every three years? Is I that have unusual? Seen, yeah, but to say that it's definitely every three years, I would say, is very unusual. I have seen it certainly with roses that they don't flower every year, but I could never say for definite that they do every second or third or fourth year. So that, that is interesting. No, I can't say I've ever seen that for definite, no. Okay, all right. Do you uh, want to give a quick mention to something that's coming up? Yes, well, I'll mention it again next week, but it's on the 22nd, so it's Saturday week. I'll be up in what was the Blackwater Garden Centre, Trish, which many people will know. It's outside Yall on the road to Dungarvan, a fabulous garden centre. Well, Claren Bridge Garden Centre, which is based in Galway, in Claren Bridge, obviously enough, have taken it over this year, and I've been up there, and they've really done a fantastic job. It looks super, really, really super now. Uh, and I'll be up there on Saturday, the 22nd at 12 o'clock, uh, and I'll be talking, uh, designing with plants, so g- giving some tips on how to get the best out of the garden by using plants, showing colours, colour colour combinations, how to use texture and structure, and that 
so that so that the garden doesn't end up too chaotic. Just a few tips to make plants work together, and all the time, obviously, being um, being mindful of promoting biodiversity and the good guys in the garden. Okay, biodiversity—that's what it's all about. We leave it there. Have a good have a good run. We'll talk again next week. Thanks, Thanks Peter. That's uh, Peter Dowd with theirishgardener.com. And this weekend on Sunday, there is another open garden at John Terry and Hillary Mason. Cottages, Bally, Shane in Cloyne, and it's between two and six, and it's in aid of Marymount Hospice. That's where I leave you for today. A reminder that tomorrow we've got a free ticket Thursday for Live at the Marquee, tickets to Toto, and tickets to Chris Christofferson to give away. Toto perform this Saturday, Chris Christofferson the following Sunday week. But that's where I leave you. Thanks to John Paul McNamara. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. We're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Good afternoon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.